Welcome to Don't Box Me In, the show that features conversations with people from all walks of life, talking about their extraordinary experiences and inspirational messages. Now, here's your host, Lana Reed. Hello, hello, hello. Here we are. I am Lana, and this is Don't Box Me In. You know, I have another intriguing life story to share today. Uh, Unfortunately, there are incidents that happen more frequent than not that we find a bitter ex-husband or ex-wife, maybe a boyfriend or girlfriend out for revenge or some financial gain who makes false accusations of rape or sexual abuse. In other stories, a rape might have actually occurred, but the victim identifies the wrong person. In other times, law enforcement, quick to pass judgment, coerces an innocent person to admit guilt when there is none. Now, I want to take special care not to minimize the pain, harm, or validity of those with legitimate rape or sex crime claims. But we must also be aware that there are times when people are falsely accused and these crimes and understand the damage that it causes to a person's life. Just one case of being wrongly wrongly accused might as well be one time too many. Today, my guest is one of those who was wrongfully accused of these types of crimes. I want to thank him in advance for agreeing to share his story with me and my audience. Mr. James Smith, welcome to Don't Box Me In today. Hey, how are you today? I'm good. I'm good. I thank you. Thank you for hanging out with me. Anytime somebody makes time for me out their life, I truly, truly appreciate it. So thank you for being here. Good to be here with you. All right. So let's uh, start at the beginning, uh, James. Uh, Can you tell me, where were you born? I was born in Watertown, New York, 1963. Watertown, New York. Exactly. What part of New York would that be? Like upstate part? or? That's way upstate. That's about 35 miles from the Canadian border. Okay. Okay. So you have brothers or sisters, or was it just you? No, I've got uh, four sisters and three brothers. All right. So you fall somewhere in the middle. Are you the baby or? Towards the middle. Okay. Okay. So would you say growing up uh, in uh, New York there, you had a regular normal childhood or anything stand out in your mind? No, everything's pretty normal. Okay. Mom and dad uh, both there and everything like that, right? Yes. Okay. And um, so I'm assuming you uh, went to elementary, high school and all that stuff in New York? Yes. Okay. And what did you do with yourself uh, when you graduated from high school? Well, I stayed uh, the summer after high school working on the dairy farm. Then in the fall, I moved to Pennsylvania and went to work on oil rigs, drilling oil, oil and natural gas. Okay. Okay, so you stayed on the farm. So your your parents, they owned a farm when you were growing up? No, no. We we were raised in the country, but I worked for, for farmers outside the family, dairy oh. farms. Okay. Okay, so that's, I'm assuming, excuse my city girl ignorance, uh, that's milking cows and all of that stuff, right? Yes, yes. (laughs) Okay, okay. So um, after high school, you uh, went to work on the, you went to Pennsylvania, you went to Pennsylvania to do the oil rigs. And um, did you get married, have any kids or anything like that? Yeah, I got married September 4th, 1981. By September 7th, I was working on oil rig in Pennsylvania. (laughs) Oh, wow. Not much of a honeymoon time there, huh? No. <laughs> okay, okay. And uh, somewhere along this, did you and your wife manage to have some kids or anything? Yes, I've got a son. Uh, he was born in January 1982. Okay, okay. And 
Miss Miss Smith is still around today. You guys are still married, or no, no, we we divorced. We got married way too young. We got divorced there back in I think about uh, 1986. I think it was. Okay, okay. You ever remarry or no? Yes, I, I'm remarried now. Okay, okay. Well, congratulations on that again. Um, so after the oil rigs and um, the young marriage and you've got a kid to support, uh, what, what line of work did you fall into after that? Well, the oil rigs started slowing down, so I went back to New York, took a job milking cows for a year, and then I ended up going in the Army on the infantry, and that's when I got divorced from my wife, and I ended up, during my time in the Army, I got custody of my son. He was four years old at the time, and I was going to re-enlist to be a drill sergeant, and they wouldn't let me do that that job being a single parent at the time. So I went ahead hmm. and got out of the military and took another job milking cows and trying to raise my son by myself. <laughs> mm. Okay. Oh, that's commendable. Now, if I can ask, I mean, if you feel like sharing, why, why is it that, because it's very rare to hear that, why is it that you got custody of your son instead of your wife? Well, she was doing some things she shouldn't have been doing, you know, going to the bars and bringing guys home and doing things in front of my son she should not be doing. And so I, I heard about it, and I put a stop to it. Okay, good deal, good deal. So you're out of the Army. You have a four-year-old son you're, you're raising by yourself, and you go back to um, uh, working on the dairy farm. Uh, was life easy at that time, or you guys were struggling together as father and son, or what? Oh, we, we got along great. I mean, we got along real good. It was just tough trying to uh, get him to a babysitter at 4.30 in the morning before I had to go milk cows, and sometimes I'd have him with me in the barn because I couldn't find a babysitter and that. And, but uh, anyways, after a while, uh, she got custody of him back after a year or so, a year and a half. She straightened up a little bit, you know, mm-hmm. let her let her have him back. Mm-hmm. So he turned out pretty good. He's married and got two kids of his own. Good deal. So um, about five years old, he went to stay back with uh, his mom. So you're still doing the dairy farm thing at this time? Yes. Okay. Okay. And about, because now you've been in the Army and out, how about how old are you now at this time? Fifty. No, no, no. When the, your son was four years old, about how old were you? I was 23. Okay. So you're still a young guy then. All right. Mm-hmm. And um, so... I'm assuming somewhere, because, you know, we're here today to, to talk about what happened to you. Is it around that particular age uh, that this uh, occurrence happened to you where you were accused, falsely accused? No, it happened nine years later. Okay. So I guess let me catch up then. So between the time of you giving custody back to your uh, ex-wife, what happens in this nine years before that happens? Are you still working on the dairy farm or? Well, I. I went and got a, a different job. I met this other woman that we dated for a while, them getting married, and I took a job driving a truck local and got off the farm and I went to drive the tractor trailers back in the late 80s. And then her and I went our separate ways after a while, and uh, I went over the road driving tractor trailer. This was about 19, by this time it was 1995. Mm-hmm. And where I'm from in the wintertime, the snow gets pretty deep sometimes. Mm-hmm. And there's a big parking lot in the city, like a grocery store parking lot, where I could park my big truck, my tractor trailer, because it'd always, always be plowed out. Well, there's this bar I used to go to a few blocks down. I'd go in there and have a few drinks, and then I'd leave. I wouldn't drive after drinking, but I'd leave. And 
that's when the trouble started. I met a woman in there with long gray hair and had a cane, and I thought she was disabled and crippled. So I kind of felt sorry for her, so I made friends with her. Well, she wanted more than just friendship. I found out later that she'd been in and out of the mental hospital. She had a mental condition. Mm-hmm. And then one night I was in there, and I met somebody else and left with them. And that's when she got this girl to come up with her and this girl come up with a story. But that's when all the trouble started. Okay. So you had a, a friendship with a, a female uh, at a bar you used to frequent. And then um, I guess you started dating somebody else, and there was some sort of jealousy involved. And, and Yeah, well, well, what it was, I wasn't... I didn't consider myself dating this woman. I just considered her as a friend. Well, she wanted more than friendship. Okay. And when she found out I started dating this other woman, that's when she got this girl to come up with this uh, story. And uh, they knew what they were doing because I was not the first guy that she had done this to. Wow. And, and I did research on her. Wow. And so what was the story that they made up, uh, if I can ask? Well, okay, she got this girl. They claimed the girl was 11 years old, but I think she was older than that. Mm-hmm. I met her one time over at this woman's apartment, you know, and you know how if you, with kids, you know, you, you know, best around play, you know, whatever, mm-hmm. you just have a good time. Well, they come up with this story that uh, I held this girl down and touched her breast or her buttocks and all this and that and the other thing. The next thing I know, I'm getting a phone call from the, the city police to come in and talk to them. Mm-hmm. And... Mm-hmm. I had nothing to hide. I, you know, I went up there and talked to him. Next thing I know, I'm in jail, fifteen hundred dollar bail. Wow! So the um, this girl that was supposedly eleven years old, uh, was she related to either the lady with the gray hair or the lady that had a little feelings for you? Was kind of sweet on you. Was she related to any of these women? No, she wasn't. She wasn't related to either one. But it was the woman that that had the, the gray hair and the cane knew this kid's mother mm. hey, well the kid was, the kid's not one of the best role models for being a kid I mean she's kind of street wise mm-hmm. and they went to the police and told the police that uh, the girl was 11 years old which I think she was older than that mm-hmm. and they said that this gray haired woman was her mother which she was not and wow. the police department the police department never bothered to check into any of it to verify anything they just came right after me Oh wow! So yep. you're sitting there, and you know you 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 voluntarily go down there and talk to the police, and the next thing you know, you find yourself in jail. I mean, is anybody explaining the situation to you fully? I mean, it has to be kind of like a a surreal, uh, like amazing kind of feeling that's going on. I'm assuming. Yeah, I mean this this will hit me like a ton of bricks. I had no idea what was going on. Mm-hmm. And, you know, this detective, he, you know, he's kind of had a real, had a bad attitude towards me, you know, like I was a dirt bag. And, uh, I gave him a statement. I said, I didn't do anything. And, you know, and, uh, next thing I know, uh, he told me I was under arrest for first degree sexual abuse and my bail was set at $1,500, which I was out that night. My parents posted my bail and I got out. Mm-hmm. Then after that, oh, I got a lawyer. That was recommended to me, and he wanted twenty five hundred dollars up front. And all I had was five hundred, and he said, "It's a shame." He said, "I could make this thing disappear this morning, but I'd hate not to get the rest of my money." Hmm. He got it adjourned, and it dragged on for a year. I mean, it just went on and on and on. 
Well, wow. uh, the judge wanted to renew a restraining order that they put in place on me, and my lawyer advised me not to. Well, that's when the, the judge got mad and says, you know, well, it's time to do something with this. And I wanted to go to trial. Mm-hmm. And the lawyer says, well, I need $7,000 more for a trial. I said, well, I don't have $7,000. And he said, well, I don't know what you're going to have to do. I tried to get a public defender, and they said I made too much money. Hmm. So there I was. So I was more or less forced into taking a plea bargain. Oh, wow. Now, let me ask, backing up a little bit, though, you're going to, did that, the police have any evidence or anything, or just the, the say-so of the child and, and the other ladies? Just the say-so of the child and the other lady. There was nothing, no, no evidence of any kind whatsoever. Mm-mm-mm. Wow. So, and what was the plea deal that you ended up taking? Well, I ended up having to plea guilty to first-degree sex abuse. Uh, that was a Class D felony, and I got five years probation, and I was ordered to go to these classes. I don't know if you call them what, something like Alcoholics Anonymous, only mm-hmm. I refer to it as Perverts Anonymous. Mm-hmm. Uh, that's where you got to sit up there with a bunch of people that are sex offenders and uh, explain what you did you know, to the victim. Well, I didn't do anything to any victim. And I kept getting violated on my probation, and eventually I uh, served six months in jail. Oh wow! So you yeah. didn't, you didn't, you got the five years probation, but you didn't, as part of your your plea, you didn't have to do any jail time per se. No, I didn't. Uh, but well, I ended up doing jail time for violating my probation because I wouldn't uh, say that I did anything because I didn't do anything. They wanted me to come up with a story. My lawyer advised me, "I'll make something up. Just make them happy." Mm, mm, mm. Amazing. Well, James, uh, it's time for our first break. I want you to hang in there with me, and we'll be right back shortly. Welcome back to Don't Box Me In. Here's your host, Lana Reed. Hello, hello. Welcome back. I'm talking with Mr. James Smith today, and uh, before the break, uh, we were at the point in his story where uh, he's accused of the crime, he wants to take it to trial, but he doesn't have the $7,000 the lawyer needs to take it to trial, so he takes a plea agreement, and that puts him in being charged with first-degree sex abuse. Now, you said you uh, you know, you couldn't continue with the lie, and, which would be in your counseling sessions, I would, you know, to talk about, you know, what you did, and that made you be in violation of your probation, and you ended up being placed in jail for six months. Now, I'm assuming um, that there's other conditions of your plea agreement besides the counseling session. Um, what oh, comes yeah. Along, yeah. What comes along with being charged with first-degree sex abuse? Okay, I had to register as a sex offender. Uh, I was not allowed to be around minors under 18 years old, not allowed to go on school properties, community college properties, public swimming pools, or anything like that. Okay. Is what was in the agreement, and uh, basically, when when I when they made me get up there and, and try to get in there with those people that actually uh, did a sex crime, it was about like throwing gasoline on a fire. I mean, it just made me uh, furious. Okay. Well, how how old was your son at this particular time when this happened? Oh, he would have been probably, well, I don't know, maybe fourteen, fifteen years old. Okay, so were you allowed to, because he's a minor, technically speaking, 
uh, are there complications with, you know, maybe attending if he had a soccer game or a football game or something like that? I'm, I'm assuming that there's some things in your life that really had to change. Um, well, due he to played this. baseball. He played baseball, and I was not allowed to go on school property to watch any games whatsoever. Mm-mm. Amazing. So, um, I'm assuming. Well, you already had a place to stay, so there's there's things with registering as a sex offender. Um, I guess it wasn't hard for you to find a place to live or anything because you probably already had a stable home at that particular time. But when you register yeah. as a se- when you register as a sex offender, you have do you have to tell them like I'm going to Texas for a week or you know I'm going to Canada? Are you allowed to do those things? Well, I don't know if I am or not, but I just pretty much did what I pleased. I mean, uh, <laughs> <laughs> I wasn't guilty of any crime, and I, I, you know, that's that's just why I am. I'm I'm not going to be forced into too much. Okay, okay. So we had some problems with the counseling sessions. So did you register for um as required yeah. to? Okay. Yeah, yeah, I did. I did. Okay, and do they say you have to register for your entire life, or is it for five years, or? Well, they they said uh, at the time they didn't really give me any set time on it, but uh, I was having. I told I was driving a tractor trailer at the time. I was I was signed on to the company out of Syracuse, New York, and the night that happened to me was on a Saturday night. And I called my dispatcher uh, that night at his house and told what had happened to me after I got out of jail. Mm-hmm. And he said, he says, no problem, don't worry about it. Well, lo and behold, right after that, the load started dropping off. I couldn't get any decent loads anymore after that. Mm-hmm. I call in for a load. Oh, I don't have anything for you today, you know, this and that. And uh, so finally, he, he did give me load one day, and it, it was it was a bad load. It was a real bad load. And their office is right downtown Syracuse, New York. I backed in there with a loaded tractor trailer, dropped the trailer right there in the parking lot, their office parking lot, and went home. Mm. I went home. It, it parked the big truck and jumped my pickup and went to Florida for nine days, took a vacation. Okay. So you're saying he he decreased your workload because of your charges? Yeah, yeah. Okay, okay. So you, you run off to New York to take, I mean, to Florida to take a, a vacation. Um, yeah. Probably much, much deserved based on everything you were going through. Um, you come back to Syracuse or New York area, I'm assuming. Uh, was work easy for you to find? No, I ended up. Well, one one of the good things that helped me out, the local people right there in the small town I grew up in knew me better than that, and I was able to get a job on a dairy farm, a large farm up there, driving trucks for them to dump trucks and help do them, you know, milking the cows and that. But uh, at the time, I was going, I was under a lot of stress, and uh, I was having problems there. I ended up one time in the emergency room of the hospital. My blood pressure two hundred ten over hundred something. I printer mm-hmm. had a stroke over it, and uh, I started a wood business selling firewood, and uh, I got that bill up pretty good, and I ended up going into that full-time until uh, 2000 when I moved to North Carolina. Okay, okay. Now, with your wood business, uh, you, I guess maybe explain it to me, well, would you supply, like, firewood to people's homes and stuff like that? Yes, what I did was I ended up living for a while. For a short time, I lived in a room in a hotel over a bar and they let me put a phone in my room and I ran an ad in the paper for firewood and I was getting this, these trees from these people that where the wind blew them down in a storm earlier that year and it was mm-hmm. a piece of firewood and I, was, I had a pickup truck 
and I was out there after work at night with the headlights of my pickup truck, cutting and splitting wood by hand, carrying it to my truck and selling it to my customers. And then in that spring, I went full time with it and started building up real good. And I got connections of people. I bought firewood logs off from, and I had a place to put them. And uh, we just started building up, and we got it built up real good. Okay, okay. Now I'm assuming it seems like you've, you know, been maybe like a contractor, worked for yourself uh, most of your life. But I'm assuming when the uh, when you took the plea deal, it would not have been easy for you to say go and apply at some job and fill out an application somewhere. No, no. See, back in the back in the early '90s, I drove for Coca-Cola for a couple of years, and now if if that had happened to me. Earlier, there's no way in the world Coca-Cola would hire me to drive for them. Not with that that hanging oh. over my head. Okay, okay. So, I guess it's fair to say or to assume that you know these kind of charges can mess up the financial income of somebody for a long time here. Oh yeah, they can they can mess you up for a long, long time. Okay, okay. Now, uh, going through all of this, what other kind of consequences you know that you feel that you've suffered from this besides the job and those types of things. Well, how's it just, ha- pardon, go ahead. I was just going to say, how has it harmed your life? Well, it, it's hurt me pretty good in some some places. Like, uh, you know, like right now, I'm still re- I still have to register in North Carolina. Mm. And it's tough. You know, and uh, I bought some rental properties down here. And I had this single mother that rented an apartment from me. She knew about this. And she didn't want to pay her rent, and she was like four months behind on her rent. And I was going to evict her, and she says, well, "I'll have you arrested for sexual harassment because she knew about this." Mm. And having that on already on your record, it was cheaper for me to let her stay there another two months, and she finally moved out. Wow! So, so it's I lost, it's I lost twenty four hundred dollars in rent from this woman. But I figured out it'd been cheaper for me than to go ahead and go through that other harassment. So it's like a constant cloud that's hanging over you for the rest of your life? Uh, pretty much. Uh, I've been talking to them up there in Albany, New York up there, and trying to get this thing dropped. They said if I can, down here in North Carolina, they told me if I could get it dropped down up there in New York, they'd drop it down here. Well, New York wants me to hire a lawyer to get it dropped. Well, I've spent enough money on this, and I've lost enough money on it. Mm-hmm. Now, they can, either, they can either drop it, investigate it, drop it, or we can do it the hard way. I've written mm-hmm. a book about it. I have a screenplay professionally ready to go. I have five movie producers looking at that screenplay right now to make a movie. And I have every intentions of suing New York State. Wow. So have you, the people that accused you, have you had any conversations with them afterwards? Or, I mean, have they recanted their story? Or are they still holding firm with it? Or, I mean, I'm not even sure if they're still around. Well, the girls found out how far it had gone, and she went to the judge and told the judge that she wouldn't do me if she fell over me, and the judge would not let that into court to, mm. to, uh, to drop the charges. And I got somebody to get this woman on tape, on tape recorder, saying that she did this to me to get even with me for dating this other woman. We presented the judge that evidence, and he wouldn't allow that in there either. Hmm. Yeah, I mean, this was after I'd already been in jail for three or four months. They they were afraid of a lawsuit. I mean, you know, when you hold the power to to danger, uh, harm, change the course of somebody's life for the the entirety of their life, you would think 
that a judge, somebody expected to uphold the law, um, would take into account, you know, the evidence like the, the, the video, I mean, the taped confession from the lady or even this, the statement from the girl. I mean, for them to ignore that, uh, is, it seems to be just to, to ignore justice. It is. It is a big mis- miscarriage of justice, and they're covering it up. Uh, mm-hmm. They don't want any problems, but they're going to have a big problem. I'm like a pit bull. I do not give up. <laughs> yeah, I can hear it in your voice. I can hear it in your voice. So um, you you went to – let's back up a little bit. You went to Florida for the vacation. You came back. How How soon was it that you ended up in North Carolina? That's where you're at now. <clears throat> okay, it was about uh, – Four years after that, I went moved to North Carolina. Okay, and just you had some connections there, or what brought you to North Carolina? Well, what happened was I got remarried, and the woman had a daughter the same age as my son. By this time, the daughter's 17 years old. My son's 17 years old. And the daughter got rebellious and ran away from home, and she took off. And then she wanted to try to get cute. She got mad at me because I grounded her. She laughed while she went and told the story because uh, she knew about that situation and tried to get me for a uh, sexual assault there. And she tried to get her own father for the same thing six months before that. Her her blood father, her natural father, for the same thing. And after that, I said, I've had it. I said, I'm getting mm-hmm. out of here. We left New York State. Okay, okay. Now, you mentioned being remarried. Is it is it concerning to remarry a, f- a woman who has young kids or underage kids? Yes, it is. And I didn't think it was going to be a problem because by the time, you know, we got married, the kids are going, you know, 14, 15 years old. And mm-hmm. I figured they old enough, you know, and I didn't think it would be that big a deal. But uh, the girl got rebellious there. She got to be about 17 or so. And, and uh, in fact, when we moved to North Carolina, she came down about, about six months after we went down there. And, uh, that was the end of that. Hmm. Yeah. That was that was the end of the marriage or the end of her being in the house? That was the end of the marriage. I sent I sent the wife and her daughter back to New York. <laughs> <laughs> okay. All right. All right, James. It's time for our, our second break of the day. Uh, hang in there with me. We'll be right back right after this. Let's return to Don't Box Me In with your host, Lana Reed. Hello, hello, hello. Welcome back to Don't Box Me In. I am with Mr. James Smith, who was falsely accused of a sex crime 18 years ago. Uh, before the break, we were at the point where he'd moved to North Carolina and sent his current wife at that time with her daughter packing back to New York. Um now, you mentioned before the break, James, that you have to you're required to register in the state of North Carolina as a sex offender. Now, I know that that requires maybe like reporting your address. But what what all is registering as a sex offender? What do you have to do? Well, when I moved to North Carolina and I didn't even tell anybody, I just left New York. I didn't even bother telling them or not. I just split. Mm-hmm. I thought that was New York State. Well, seven years later, after I'd been in North Carolina, seven years, I get a phone call one day from the sheriff's department. Because somebody in New York found out that where I was at down there, called them, told them my name, phone number, and everything. So I had to go in there, and uh, they'd take my pictures, fingerprints, and all that good stuff. And I had to tell them where I lived and all that. And uh, I'm supposed to report every six months. Every six months you have to go down to the sheriff's department? 
Yeah, I'm supposed to go down there and sign a paper and hand it to them. What What does the paper say? What is it for? It says uh, verifying your address and and what you do for for uh, occupation and things like that, and that's about it. Okay, okay, and and I think I asked you this already, but nobody has mentioned to you how long how long you have to do this for. If this is for the rest of your life, you have to every six months report to the sheriff's station. Well, it used to be down here if you went and got a lawyer after a couple of years, you could get it taken care of. But they changed the law now; it's a minimum of ten years that you've got to do this. Wow. And this What's is for up? something. So this is something that happened 18 years ago, and you you're now in another state, and you have to do it for at least 10 years. Yeah, I got I got another four years at it unless I can put a stop to it in New York. If I can stop in New York, I can stop in North Carolina. That's what I was told. Okay, but this is like you were saying earlier. This requires more money that most often people don't have for lawyer fees that, and stuff like that. That is correct. So would it require you, um, if you were to go ahead and get the lawyer, pay the fees and everything, would it require you to leave North Carolina and travel back to New York? No, no. I, I talked to them up there in Albany, and, and it could pretty much be done through a lawyer. Okay, okay. And um, But you don't want to go that route because why? Well, it's going to be expensive, for one thing. It's, you know, it's going to cost a lot of money that I don't you know, really have to spare it at the moment. Okay. And I want to get it done, but... Uh, I've written a book, like I said, I've written a book, and it's been published for a while, and I'm trying to get a movie made out of it. And I've got, mm-hmm. I think, five producers looking at it right now. And I'm hoping mm-hmm. that that'll, you know, help me enough that maybe they'll wake up and realize what happened, or they can sit back and wait till I do acquire the money. Then not only will I try to get my name cleared, I will try to sue the state of New York. Gotcha, gotcha. Now, you've mentioned this book. Um, can you tell me what is the name of the book? Uh, Through the Eyes of the Accused. Through the eyes of the accused, and you said it's published already. So, um, where can the audience pick it up, or how do they go about getting a copy? Okay, it's available online through Crawford Publishing. Okay, Crawford C C R A W F O R D Crawford. Yeah, Crawford T R A. Go ahead. T R A F F O R D Publishing. Okay. Okay. And um, this book is just about what happened to you, or what, what kind of things can it we find includes, in the book? It includes the whole story from the day I met this woman in the bar straight through to the very end, everything that I went through in between in the, in the court the mm-hmm. dates and all that. And 145 pages of that book was written from a jail cell. Oh, wow. <laughs> yeah, and... Uh, I got it published, but it covers everything. Now, the end of it, in the ending, the way it should have ended, when we got the woman on tape it, it, uh, saying that it didn't happen, she was doing it to get even with me, that should have been the end of it right there. That's true. Yeah, but it wasn't. But, I mean, that's the way the publisher and editor ended the story. Okay. It's okay. an ongoing thing, you know, but that's the way it ended. Okay. Now let me ask you this because, you know, you've, because this has happened to you, this is a situation that you've probably uh, become very passionate about over the years. In your opinion, do you think your situation was like a, a one-time deal or, or is this more common than we think? Oh, I think it's very common. Uh, like I said to you mentioned earlier, the woman that did this to me did it to two other men before me. Mm. And she had, she had a history of mental illness and it was documented. And nobody ever bothered checking into it. They just came right after me. Okay. 
Wow. And I think it's I think it's a common thing. It's it's up and coming thing. It's a witch hunt. Okay. Yeah. I mean, a sex offender is a bad thing. I think anybody that would would molest a kid or rape a woman, I'd be shot. But I think that anybody falsely accused somebody of that, I'd be tarred, feathered, and then shot. <laughs> I mean, yeah, because you're messing with people's lives, livelihood. Um, you know, like you were saying, you know, you had difficulties even being part of your son's growing up. So anytime you alter the course of somebody's life out of jealousy or, you know, I mean, you, there should be repercussions for that. Um, there there I mean, should be, but, I, you know, I hold, the, I hold the court system more responsible than I do the woman. Like mm-hmm. I said, she's very, she's very vindictive, but she has a history of mental illness, and the judge is supposed to be mentally competent. Mm-hmm. True, true. Now, let me ask you this, though, Re- reflecting back on your situation, what do you think um, should have been done differently from the from day one of your situation? From day one, I think that they should have looked at that more realistically. They should have verified that that the woman was not the girl's mother. They should have verified the girl's age. And they put in their story in their police report that they locked themselves in the bedroom to get away from me. Well, that apartment didn't even have any locks in any of the doors at all. In fact, mm. some of them didn't even have a doors on them. They never bothered checking any of that. They just came right after me. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Now, um, was there any previous contact with law enforcement before this? I mean, did, did the courts just say, okay, well, you know, we arrested him, you know, last month for something. So, yes, we can believe that he did this. I mean, was it? No, no. Oh. Okay. Okay. No. Wow. No, that was, that was just, uh, you know, back when this was going on, you remember when Megan's Law came out, what happened? Yes. Yes. Girl? Okay, the whole nation was up in arms pretty good about that, and they were trying to pass that law while everybody was jumping on the bandwagon. If you take down a, a monster sex offender, a uh, sexual predator, you've done a good job, and everybody gives you a pat on the back. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And wow. that's, that's what that court system's all about up there in that county. You know, and there have been a lot of um, changes in the law from that and things that people can go to jail for uh, considered sex offenses. Uh, some of them are, you know, if if a man pees in a park or something like that, you know, he could oh, be. yeah. Yeah, exactly. you know, that. Virginia, the state of Virginia, in the state of uh, South Carolina, if they catch you, like if you pull a rest area of a tractor trailer, and it's a long ways up the inside. In some cases, some of these rest areas are even locked up at night. If they catch you on the other side of your truck, relieving yourself, if they want to, they can arrest you, and you have to register as a sex offender. Yeah, you know. So, I mean, it's clear that some adjustments to the law need to be made and i want to you know reiterate one more time we, we don't want to negate legitimate sex crimes and things that happen to people that um are violations of their body but some of these things um cause devastation to people's life that are just unwarranted i mean we really need to revamp this whole concept here um and like you said it was a witch hunt you know we we're ch- kind of like a knee-jerk society Okay, we had this situation where these kids happen here, so all of a sudden, you know, everybody gets put under this to this umbrella, um, and we don't take into consideration the fact that we are really, really um, damaging, in your case, an innocent person's life, you know, because we're all on this panic thing, you know. So, well, the the, the police department in North Carolina read the arrest report, the, the report, and he told mm. me, he says, this thing, this is a joke. He says, this mm. is a joke. He said, but. The state of North Carolina want to be on the safe side, so they said I had to register. But they said this this here's this is nothing. 
Mm-hmm. But yeah, they got me right up there with Ted Bundy and a bunch of the other ones. You know, that's what one size fits all. Uh, guilty or innocent makes no difference. Mm-mm-mm. Now, since you have to register in North Carolina, and you know we're living in this this age of technology where anybody can have anybody's information, has it jeopardized your lifestyle in any way in North Carolina because you have to register? Uh, what do you mean by that? I mean, I mean, because people have your address. Your address is out there publicly on file. I'm assuming where people know where you live, and and we still are in a witch hunt society. So, um, oh, I mean, you're talking about somebody, somebody come around trying to threaten my life or anything like yeah, that. Yeah, yeah. I wish they would make my day. <laughs> <laughs> Mr. Smith has a lot of fire in him. A lot of fire. Oh, well, okay. I'm fired up right now just talking about this. And, and I, <laughs> I was in the military. I was in the infantry and ranger battalion. And I, I think I still know how to fight. <laughs> <laughs> okay, you know, but I, I would just think that that would make people like, uh, you know, a bullseye target. You know, when you are, you know, say for instance, like we were talking about the people in South Carolina who could possibly have to register as a sex offender because they pulled over and relieved themselves. So you know, you have these people who are, you know, obsessed with catching sex offenders, and now that person's address is out there. It seems like you're putting somebody in a situation to be harmed. I mean, not everybody is sane when they feel like, oh, I might have a sexual predator living next door to me. You don't want to stop and say, what actually is that person accused for? Was it just, um, you know, people don't always act rationally. So it seems like we might be putting some people's lives in jeopardy by the sex offender program that we have out there. I understand it because, you know, before this happened to me, I used to hear about situations like that. And the first thing I thought, well, that no good rotten so-and-so. I went ahead and did something to a kid. That's the first thought in my mind. I never stopped to think, is the guy innocent mm-hmm. or not? Yeah, yeah. You know, you just assume. And then, like I said, you know, there's like, oh, you know, this person lives two blocks from me. Oh, I can't have that, you know. But you don't know the whole details of the situation. And, uh, you know, we make some false assumptions based on that. Um, well, don't. Down here in North Carolina, they got this magazine that comes out. It's like a small newspaper, and it's busted up the title of it. They got people's pictures and the crimes and that. And one day I bought one of them just, just for the fun of it, found my picture in there. Oh, wow. Yeah, so I called this guy, and he was rude to me. He called me some names I can't repeat on the air. Mm-hmm. And I told him, I said, look, I said, I didn't do anything. And he said, yeah, right, you know, you're so-and-so. Well, I sent him a copy of the book I wrote with a letter in there. I said, if I see my picture in your paper again, you're going to court and there's going to be a lawsuit. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I said, here's what happened, and here's the book. I sent it to him, I signed my name to it, and I have not <laughs> seen it in there since. Oh, so he did remove your picture then? Oh, yeah. Okay, good deal. So um, I'm wondering if... That's a way to get your information removed. You have to write people and tell them to take her. Or did he just do it because you had such the con- the way you contacted him? Maybe that's what uh, sparked him to remove your picture from his publication. Well, you know, this is a real real touchy subject for me. I've, I've not yet had anybody come up to me in the street and try to give me a hard time. But if they did, I would, I would then be guilty of a real crime because I would <laughs> probably go off on them. I've got a lot of fight in me because of this. Yeah, I mean, because it's almost like being forced to register as a sex offender and not to say that in somebody else's case it's not a valid um, tool to use to have this registry. But in your case, you know, it is putting you 
in dangerous harm if you have that vigilante citizen who wants to, you know, take on all sex offenders in their area or something like that. It just seems to be a situation to spark danger, personal harm to somebody. Well, if he come around my house, there'll be one less vigilante because I'm not guilty. <laughs> <laughs> there you go. There you go. Well, James, hold on. We're going to take our last break of the day, and we'll be right back right after this. Welcome back to Don't Box Me In. Here's your host, Lana Reed. Hello, hello. I am here today with Mr. James Smith, who has written a book about uh, being falsely accused of a sex crime over 18 years ago. Um, now, James, uh, the reality of this type of crime is is usually uh, women mm, being the victims and men being uh, the attackers, so to speak. So reflecting back on your situation if you had any advice to offer to men to like protect themselves from being going through what you went through, I mean, because um, you have to you have to interact with females. You're possibly going to be around somebody's kids. Um, you, you know, maybe some girls, you know, going to have a a jealous fit or something like that. Is there is there anything a man can do to kind of like not be put in this situation? Yes, there is. Oh. Uh- what, what a man wants to do is when he's talking to a woman and she's talking about one of her exes or somebody that she's mad at, listen very close to that woman, what she's planning on doing to that man when she's mad at him because she, she's going well, willing to do that to that man. She's willing to do it to you if she gets mad at you, okay. for starters. Okay. I learned that the hard way. And another thing, if you got if there's a kid around, teenage kid, or, and they're not on the up and up, they smoke cigarettes and use bad language and then they're hanging out. They're bad news. Stay away from get up and don't walk away, run away. <laughs> okay. Okay. So we have to pick the right types of uh, females to involve ourselves with and, and the children that they bring to the table. And um, if you had any, you know, kind of message that you would give to law enforcement when these cases come to the table, what would you say to the police officers, to the judges, um, what would you say to them that are the corrections that need to be made? Well, it, I would say to that judge, he needs to come down off his high horse and look at the facts and be willing to admit he made a mistake. Mm-hmm. If he'd have been willing to admit that he just made a mistake and, and uh, didn't look into him good enough, I'd be willing to let bygones be bygones. But this thing keeps coming back and biting me every day. Really? And nobody's willing to do anything about it. Mm-hmm. And I'm trying everything I can to do something about it. And if I can find a lawyer that's willing to help me out, we're going to have a lawsuit against that state, and I'm not backing down. Gotcha, gotcha. But, I mean, they they get tunnel vision. Gotcha. I now, mean, let's... A sex offender is a bad thing. I mean, if I ever caught somebody in the act of it, they wouldn't have to worry about calling the police when I get done with me. I can't stand. When I hear about a sex offender like that, it makes the hair in the back of my neck stand up. Gotcha. Now, let me play devil's advocate for one second, James. So there's going to be people out there who legitimately commit sex crimes, who are going to throw their hands up there and say, wasn't me, wasn't me, um, and who might be in the same situation where it's just he say, she say, his word or her word against his word. Um, what, how, are we, how are we to di- differentiate these cases? Well, from, that, go ahead. that's a good question. Uh, in my situation, the police report itself, for what speaks for itself, uh, anybody with any common sense that read that thing will know it's very full of holes and doesn't make any sense. 
Mm-hmm. But uh, you get all the right judge and, and the right uh, detective, it doesn't make any difference if it's uh, true or not. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. But it, it's it's a tough situation, and you know, like a child molestation, it's their word against his or hers. It's a hard thing to prove or disprove. Mm-hmm. You're it's gonna, it's a sticky, sticky, sticky situation. Yeah, because I'm assuming, you know, most times um, there's not a lot of evidence. Now, I did read in my preparation for the show, um, I think some particular state, they had like 900 cases overturned because DNA evidence did prove that the person was innocent. But even then, I, you know, to have 900 people sitting, rotting in jail because she said he did and yeah. nobody checked. There was no checks and balances for that. I mean, that seems devastating because you cannot you cannot get these men's lives back um, if it's a day in jail or, you know, two years or 10 years, you know, they're going to come out of jail. And I'm sure you've experienced this with some sort of, you know, stigma, you know, uh, you know, friends or your coworkers. It's like, okay, James, yeah, we know, you know, you're saying no, but mm, I don't know, maybe. Well, I'll tell you what happened. When, when this happened, when, when I, I first got accused of this, I owned a, a single white trailer on like a small farm. Mm-hmm. And I let this woman I went to school with, she needed a place to stay her, and she had three kids and her boyfriend, and I was out on the road with a truck at the time. I was hardly ever home. So I told them they'd go ahead and stay in my house, just pay their light bill, and, you know, I won't charge them any rent. They found out about this, and I come in one night, late at night, and the snow was about two feet deep in the driveway, and I had to track the trailer. I noticed all the lights were off in the house. There's no car in the driveway. I walked through the snow in there, and that woman had moved out, took everything completely out of my, my house, my trailer, Turned the furnace off and left the door wide open, and every water pipe in that place broke from front to back. Mm-mm-mm. All yeah. because she yeah. believed the story of what was because told she, about you? Because she believed the story. And she kind of knew better than that because she'd already been living in my house for six months, and she knew she knew me better than that. Mm-hmm. Now, you, you bring up an interesting point. When all of this happened to you, um, you, you mentioned that your parents came and bailed you out, but your family and friends, were they supportive or... Well, yeah, my my friends and family are real supportive. But uh, mm-hmm. you, on a situation like that, you find out who your true friends are real fast. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And, you know, you bring up another point that, that we've kind of touched on a few times throughout today. It seems like it's a constant tool that people have to, to throw at you. You know, like, I'm not going to pay rent because I'm a report that you're a sex offender or I'm I'm just going to move out of your house, even though we were better friends than that. And you know, destroy your pipes because you're a sex offender. It just seems like something that people are constantly holding over your head to gain advantage over you. It is. Wow. It, it is. But I've got to the point where I really don't care anymore. Mm-hmm. It, just let the chips fall with me. I had people advise me not to talk to you on this, this show today about this, but you know, I got to get it out. I got to yeah. get it out there. Okay. Well, I appreciate you making the decision to come and be with me today. Now, you're in North Carolina, and you you have rental income. Do you? Is it hard for you to choose who you're going to rent to? Or I mean, do you base your judgment on who my tenants are going to be based on your situation? Or um, well, I'm not. I'm not supposed to be. We're not supposed to be. Uh, oh, prejudiced. Uh, you know, if a person qualifies for an apartment, and you're supposed to rent to them, but. Uh, I would not rent to a single mother anymore. Anybody that had kids, uh, I'd find a way around that. Okay. Okay. Yeah. 
Yeah. All right. I, I stay away from. It. I got a guy now. He's in his early thirties, single guy, and that's the kind of tenants I'm looking for. Something like that. Something that's not going to cause me any grief. Okay, and I'm assuming that fits the conditions of your uh, requirements to register as a sex offender because, I, let me make the assumption. I assume you do some of the repairs on the the, the rental in properties yourself. So. You know, that- that issue was never brought up because uh, I don't have that many now. But at the time when when I had to register down there, I had seven different or six different places, mm-hmm. and that issue was never brought up. Okay, okay. Because I'm just thinking, if you were the the quote unquote handyman around your own properties, that if somebody had kids, you couldn't be on the premises at your own property. Well, that's probably true, but like I said, that was never brought up and uh, never mentioned or anything. Okay, okay. Now, uh, before we get out of here, I want to make sure one more time that we let everybody know. What is the title of the book again? Uh, Through the Eyes of the Accused. Okay, okay. And you, you said you've prospected it out, and you've got about five different producers uh, in the process of getting it out there? Uh, they're looking at it right now. I just posted it on a, on a major website last week where producers go to uh, buy screenplays. Mm-hmm. And it's... It's out there now, and there's there's five of them looking at it. One of them has looked at it four times, and they said it takes three to five weeks to get an answer back on it if they're going if they want to do it or not. Okay, okay. Now, um, maybe it, it's not a good idea to uh, give out your contact information if people wanted to buy the book. But um, I'm assuming the publishing company do they have any contact information if people wanted to pick up the book? If they want to get if they want to read the book. Uh, it's available online through Trafford Publishing. Okay. All righty. Well, Mr. Smith, I want to thank you for um, sharing your story and hanging out with me today. I think um, that yours is not a single occurrence. I think, unfortunately, that more men um, have suffered what you have gone through, and it takes more stories like yours to come out uh, that maybe we can fix some of the problems. And like I said at the very beginning of this, I don't want to negate the actual valid uh, occurrences of sex abuse, sex uh, rape or crimes or anything like that. But at the same time, we have to be real and understand that there are uh, people out there falsely accused of these crimes and it messes up their entire life. And so I I just want to appreciate you for being here with me and sharing that. I would like to be able to help other people out that 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 happened to. Mm -hmm. I wish that I could put my contact information out there, but... If it's somebody that actually did the crime, I don't even want them to even think about calling me. Yeah, yeah. So then we're gonna keep it. Scum. They're scum, but if, you know, if they're if they're innocent, I do everything I can to help. But if they actually did it, I don't want to even give them the time of day. Good deal, good deal. And like I said, you know, I um, hopefully people will go and pick up a copy of the book and open their minds and learn more, you know, about this kind of travesty. Uh, like I said, our ju- justice system is there to protect us, but. You know, sometimes uh, more more often than not, it lets us down. But uh, uh, like my father said, it's liberty and justice for all who can afford it. <laughs> <laughs> there you go. There you go. My guest today has been uh, James Smith. Uh, be on the lookout for his book. Go pick up a copy. And thank you, thank you again, James, for being on the show and sharing your story with me. Thank you for having me. No problem. That is all for this week's show. I'll be back next week at the same time. Until then, remember when it comes to your dreams, the words can't and won't should never slow you down. There's always space to change and to grow. Don't be boxed in. Live your very best life. I am your host, Lana Reed, and you can visit my website, lanareed.com. Until next time, I look forward to connecting with you. Mm-hmm.